to support the show and join our patron community where you'll get extra access and exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com forward slash creatively Christian. Welcome to Creatively Christian, a podcast by Theophany Media, where we inspire, inform, educate, and empower creative Christians of all types. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Hollingsworth. On today's podcast, Brandon sits down with novelist and award-winning screenwriter Sean Paul Murphy to find out the lowdown on being a believer and finding success as a writer. Hey, everybody out there in Creatively Christian land, this is Brandon Hollingsworth, uh, your anchor host here with Theophany Media's Creatively Christian podcast, and I am super excited today to bring you a really awesome gentleman that we're going to be chatting with. His name is Sean Paul Murphy. Welcome to the show, Sean. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon. I'm very excited about being here and talking. Absolutely. Just imagine there's tons of uh, applause and stuff in the background. I know you get that all the time. So We'll add that later. <laughs> exactly. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll put that in. All right. So, Sean, I'm going to introduce you to our audience by reading your bio. Thanks for sending that over. And I'm just going to read it just like it came. And I hope I get all the words right. If not, feel free to correct me. Sound good? <laughs> all right. So, Sean Paul Murphy is an author and award-winning screenwriter. He has written 14 feature films, including Hidden Secrets, Sarah's Choice, The Encounter, and the Revelation Road Trilogy. He is a 2012 winner of the $50,000 Kairos Prize for Screenwriting. Did I get that right? Did I get the name right? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> a series of short true crime films he wrote for the FBI won a combined six Emmys on the Pentagon Channel. So, wow, hats off to you, brother. That is amazing. Um, he is the author of a memoir, The Promise, or the Pros and Cons of Talking with God, and a novel, Chapel Street, which was inspired by a haunting his family experienced. Both books were traditionally published by Touchpoint Press. A streaming series based on his Revelation Road films is currently being shot by Sony in South Africa. He also works for Discovery and periodically teaches screenwriting at Towson, or is it Towson University? Towson. Towson, excellent. Well, again, welcome, Sean. Thank you for being here. We are super, super privileged to have you on the show today. And tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into this whole creative writing world. That's, you know, not always a path folks take. So how did you, how'd you wind up where you are? I've been writing since as young as I can remember. You know, people always seem, even when I was a little kid, people always seemed amused by my writing. Right. And on my, um, on my um, blog, I printed up a um, autobiography I wrote in the fourth grade. I hadn't accomplished much by then, but everyone loved that. And essentially since then, I wanted to be a writer. Awesome. And um, that's in college. I mean, in high school, it was, um, you know, the teachers encouraged me and I became a mass communication major in Towson University, where I now teach sometime. Awesome. And I was originally a journalism major until one of our classes, we had to interview alumni members who were working as journalists. And when I saw how little, much, how little money they make, I was making more than some of them as a busboy. At the time, I decided to switch over to film because I love film. And if I wasn't going to make any money, I might as well do something I love. <laughs> well, you and I, uh, to some degree, have some similarities there. I started writing in the fifth grade and fell in love at that point. So not too much longer after you. So 
Yeah, I bet that first bio, that first autobiography was pretty short in the fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, hadn't had any Emmys on that. Then again, I will say I am not an Emmy winner. Okay. My films have won Emmys. Gotcha. I have not won. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very, very good point. Point of, point of procedure there. So thank you. For that, <laughs> so talk a little bit about the decision, um, you know, to, to step into film. Had you had any screenwriting experience up to that point? Had you played around with screenwriting or was it just a, hey, I'm going to go do this and jump into the deep end of the pool? Well, I took, when I took film, I wrote some scripts for our short films, but you know, no one I knew was a screenwriter. I, you know, I lived in Baltimore, still do. Uh -huh. So it didn't, there wasn't a path to becoming a professional screenwriter. But um, I was working for an advertising agency. I got laid off and I was watching VHSs. That should show you how long ago it was. <laughs> and I, I saw a movie and I thought I could do better than that. And over the course of a week, I wrote the entire a script for a movie. It was bad, but um, I was the first person I knew personally who had written a feature script. And then after that, I wrote another one. Um, and that one actually got Hollywood attention. And I wrote a third one that also got Hollywood attention. Wow. So um, I was off to the races, as it were, at that point. That's that's awesome. So did you how did how did Hollywood see the second script? I, I know everyone's first script they put in a drawer and no one ever gets to see it. I get that. That's the way mine is. Yeah, the first one was terrible. <laughs> but how did, but, how did um, the, second one, the second one? Yeah. The funny thing is they were um, the second two scripts were um, kind of faith based. And um, the first one was like an end times thing called the mark. And it was picked up by a um, Back then, you didn't have the internet resources you have now. Right. If you wanted to find an agent, you had the right to the Writers Guild, mm -hmm. and they sent you a list of um, all the registered agencies and everything that were registered with the Guild. No names or anything, so you just had to send, you know, to whom it may concern. And <clears throat> and the first film ended up with a um, actually a Jewish agent who um, was not bothered by the Christian content at all. Because they um, they looked at it as a um, like a Twilight Zone esque um, retelling of the Holocaust. Okay, Very you know, cool. in fact, they thought it was too Jewish. Oh, wow. You know, and but that agent didn't handle um, didn't handle writers, so tried to hook me up with. Um, they only handled directors, and tried to pair that script up with some directors. It didn't work. The second one was I turned down representation by CAA. And um, which was, you know, career suicide. But at that time, by the time CAA wanted it, um, um, someone, sorry about my throat. <clears throat> I was talking all day and I guess that's where I lost it. Yep, yep, that'll do it to you. But um, I was already going, decided to go with another agent on another screenplay. Okay. And um, it, was, it was a great agent named Stu Robinson, Robinson Weintraub and Gross. Had a rep, you know, if you read the screenwriting books at the time, he was often quoted and he had a reputation for um, breaking new writers, you know, and handling quirky ones like John Sayles. And I asked him like, well, what was the most, the biggest screenplay you handled? He's like, E.T. for Melissa <laughs> Matheson. I'm like, okay, I'll go with one. you. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, good. So, um, <laughs> and, um, but still, despite all of that, I mean, I got great reviews on those early scripts. People like the late Richard Zanuck, Barry Levinson, you know, very famous um, writers, directors, producers. 
not writers, but Barry Levinson's writer director. Right. But it still took a long time before I got a movie made. <laughs> yeah, so that there's a whole lot to unpack there. So I want to kind of go back, and the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, a lot of a lot of folks, especially these days, Sean, they don't really understand what it was like to come from the world that you and I came from. So you know, the world, the world, no, the world prior to the internet, right? And how. Yeah. And how hard it was, right, to find these people and to connect with them. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. I would love to get your opinion on what is the difference today with finding the right people that you need to talk to and walking through those doors as opposed to where it was when you began. So, Well, I'll tell you the process, how now how I do it. I already told you the old process. You wrote the... Um, <clears throat> You wrote the Writers Guild and they sent you a list of agencies, mm-hmm. you know, and you just were hit and miss on them. Right. Nowadays, the process, and I shouldn't give my process away, but <laughs> I will. What do I care? Well, during the um, 90s, and there was a book called the um, Hollywood Creative Directory, and there were a couple different directories, and one was for production companies, and it gave you the names, the phone numbers. And if they started at more and more as it went on, emails of production of the people, the production companies. And there was another book called Hollywood Creative Directory, Agents and Managers, where you could get the names of agents and managers. And I think by the time I got my agent that I stayed with, that was out. And I saw his name in the um, Hollywood Creative Directory. Hollywood Creative Directory is out of business now because some um, I believe essentially the internet movie database did it. Uh-huh. And there were other books that would list who handled, there was another book that was pretty expensive that listed writers and who their managers were. Okay. So, um, you know, existing screenwriters. So, you know, once you had these, all these books, you could figure out who was handling this kind of writer, who was handling that kind of writer, what kind of company made this kind of movie. But now everything's on the internet movie database. You know, going, getting the pro internet movie database is one thing every writer should do because they will at least tell you the producers and they don't always have the emails, but they used to have the phone numbers of the companies they work for. I never call anyone. I don't want to be judged by how I sound. I mean, listen to me now. <laughs> I don't want to be judged on my Baltimore banter. You know, I want to be view, judged on my words. So I prefer to approach people um, with, um, you know, email. Yeah. And if you go to my blog, um, SeanPaulMurphyville.blogspot.com or just type in Sean Paul Murphyville, I will actually show the query letters that I sent that got me an agent query letters that got me jobs that got me assignments you know and got me reads you know i have two blogs one called the query letter and then a more recent one which i call anatomy of a query letter of my most recent query letter and i explain why i say all the different things i said and what i could say instead and why i don't say those things excellent so you kind of just break it's so much easier now I one thing I don't understand for all those kids out there, like, hey kids, get off my lawn. Right. But um, <laughs> is if you go on Twitter, where, where you I saw you on Twitter, uh-huh. you saw me. Um, it's all talking about contests and shows. 
as if contests were the key to success in screenwriting. Absolutely not. Okay. Although I've won contests and I've semifinaled in them. Uh-huh. You know, when I was first a screenwriter, Nichols was probably, there were probably only a couple contests and I never entered any of them. You know, you know, it's like, why are you paying money, right. $35, $50, $70, $100 for people to say no to you? Right. <laughs> you know, I, <clears throat> I don't know why I'm having such problems. You know, if you contacted producers themselves, they'll say no to you for free, you know. <laughs> it's true they will (laughs) yeah i think i think if you approach a hundred of them maybe one of them will say yes right i think there's something about the the lure of possibly winning and that that's the that's the hook that those contests have but but yeah you're exactly right the producers will absolutely they will crush your hopes for free (laughs) exactly you don't have to pay for it that's you know people often say oh i hate you know i'm afraid of producers they could say no but at least there's you know they're showing you that one kindness. But the reality is, you know, and I'm going to fall into this camp and it gets a lot of people angry. There's really only about five contests that can help you. Okay. You know, every other thing I like to point out, uh-oh, my wife is giving me something. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I don't know for sure what it is, but I'm going to drink it. <laughs> if your wife gave it to you, it's got to be okay, right? <laughs> exactly. Wow. So. Sean never drinks alcohol. <laughs> well, I did just now. I cleared well, it up, right? Yeah, cleared it up a bit. It's gonna, it's gonna be an one thing I want to say about the contest. The good thing is, you know, I remember... Um, I was in a film festival. This was like my first feature. And we were up against another film that had already won a previous competition. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't intimidated because it was a competitive thing because I knew the competition that it had won before at the other film festival was essentially five guys sitting around in a in a um, you know club basement watching movies. It was a very <laughs> small film festival. Right. But but one thing I remembered is the director of that film, the writer-director, when he died, whether, you know, 50 years from now, the first thing he's going to say on his obituaries, award-winning filmmaker (laughs) Joe Smith died. (laughs) Even though it was the smallest possible, it it would be hard to imagine a film festival smaller than the one this guy won. And this film was never professionally um, distributed. So I understand the people's need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the desire to do it and my advice for those who don't want to forward their career just become an award winner is to go to what's that film high filmways or whatever right and go and look at the newest screenwriting contest and the smallest ones <laughs> and enter those <laughs> and then you'll get your award-winning filmmaker <laughs> and um you'll get that but essentially most of the film festivals in all honesty or just ego strokes. I will say I like winning Kairos. It's faith-based oriented, and they gave away a lot of money. Yeah. I was was second runner up. So I only got 10,000 of the 50,000, but $10,000, you know, is a lot of money. Absolutely. So what you're, what you're saying, Sean, is that, that I can go enter the Hoboken community college screenwriters award uh, and, and maybe get an award winner on my, on my resume. Right. 
Yeah, that's what I would say, or the Chattanooga Micro Brew Cinefest, you know, and um, enter those contests, and you have an excellent chance of being an award-winning filmmaker. Awesome. You know? awesome. And then you can say, my when you put your career, my award-winning script, and but just don't say what it won. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let them assume it's the Nichols or, you know, one of the bigger ones. So you, you, you said something there I want to, I want to tease out and it's a really good tool. And I think our audience for audience would be really great for them to, to hear this again and, and really take you at your word that the IMD pro membership, and we're not sponsored by anybody. So this is not a plug other than just a, a good tool to give you a leg up is really one of the best, you know, tools you can have in your tool belt these days. Would you, would you agree? I've heard that many times. It's a hundred percent the best thing. It's better than in any of these places like Blacklist or Coverfly or um, Ink Tip. Mm -hmm. Though I will say I didn't like Black Tip. I mean Blacklist. Right. Ink Tip, on the other hand, at least before, was excellent. Uh, I sold a script off Ink Tip, okay. and I was given an, a paid assignment for oh, a wow. feature off Ink Tip. But the IMD Pro, Pro, it's great. You know, when you write a new script, you think about, you think of what I would do and what I do do is I think of 50 films that are in the same genre, the same market, you know, as my script. Then I go on and look at all the producers and the directors of those films. And honestly, you're better off with the producers than the directors because mm -hmm. directors are mostly not the people with the money who make the decisions, right. you know, and also the good thing is about pro as well, you know, other than giving you the information, it also tells you how many things they have in process, like script, pre-production, acquired, optioned. And if it's like, if it's one guy and he's only got like five credits, you know, and he's got like 32 things optioned, you may not want to go with them. Because right. it's where am I, where's my script going to fall in his schedule of things? Right, right. It's going to be you know, backlogged. So, yeah. so much information about right. people. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's a great tip. So I want to talk a little oh, bit about. And there's another. There's it. some. If you're looking for an agent or a manager, I think it's called everyone, everyone who who's who is anyone in Hollywood. Uh -huh. So just type that into Google. Everyone, anyone, everyone who is anyone in Hollywood, uh -huh. and it's a guy, a bitter former writer, a bitter writer, you know, because he writes a bit of his journey. But he has acquired the email addresses of all the agents okay. and all the people and lots of people at production company, stuff that's not even on IMDb Pro. Okay. And here's another thing, at least in the old days, you know, you send something out to a big agency and they say they don't read, they didn't look at it, they deleted it. Mm -hmm. Trust me, everybody reads. Okay. You know, that's good to know. If, you know, if they're responding to you, they read it. Okay. And because I, it's like, when I got the opportunity represented by CAA, I had previously received like 10 to 12 rejections from them, from other agents. And they were all said they were from the mail. This is back when you used to mail query letters. Right. And, you know, you would, um, you know, um, I got these things saying, we do not read. We do not read. No one read your, your letter. Uh -huh. But then somebody read it and liked it. <laughs> so there yeah, you that's go. Yeah, and I think that's great that, um, you know, because a lot of beginning writers, especially screenwriters, they fear the slush pile, right? That is like one of the biggest excuses why they don't finish that script or why they don't 
query that script or while they don't send that script is they they're afraid they're just going to get lost in the slush pile. And it sounds like you're saying, don't fear the slush pile, send it anyway. No, embrace it. Okay. Here's another thing. And this is a problem with people who um, do contests. And I've talked to a surprising number of screenwriters. You know, I'm pretty accessible. I'm on Twitter. People ask me a question. I'm on Facebook. I'll try to answer. Okay. Um, but, you know, there are people who have won contests. And then a year later, they're disillusioned because they assumed they didn't have to query people. Right. It's like, oh, I won this contest. People are going to come to me. And maybe one or two people will. But the reality is winning the contest is just makes your query letter better. People, unless it's nickels or like one of the top one, Mm -hmm. people are not going to be knocking on your door, you know, to get your script. Yeah. And even if you get a film made, they're still not going to come knock on your door. Right. You still have to hustle. You know, that next film, it's like you're really just starting over from scratch. You might have, like you said, a better query letter, but. Unless you know somebody who's got money for your next film, you've got to start at square one, right? Well, you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about that today because I was going to write a blog about that. But it's really not true. Um, Because, you know, I've made, I guess I've made Hollywood films because 12 of them were shot in Los Angeles. (laughs) You know, so they were Hollywood films. But, you know, does that mean there are people knocking at my door for the next script? And the answer is mostly no. And, um, but, you know, I get people contact me because of, you know, they've seen my films or something, or they've seen something on ink tip and the fact that I've made these films. So it's like, I am a step above, right? Unless you're working within the studio and you have a big agent, to a degree, you're right. It is everything you do is you're starting its block one again. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's true, but it's kind of not true as well. Because I was thinking, as I said, I was thinking about writing a blog. And I'm like, you know what? I do get opportunities because of what I've already done. Uh-huh. You know, if I didn't do anything, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think having 12 produced films is a little bit different than your first one. And you're, you're a known quantity now. They know that you produce, right? They know you're dependable, you deliver. So I think that's probably the, the nuanced difference. That you're, that yeah. You're but doing. I tell you, when I got my first agent, all I've ever written was product descriptions and a couple TV commercials and some movie reviews for a um, singles publication in Delaware. You know, so it really comes down to the idea. People are looking for the right, the next idea, the next great idea. So, you know, if you if you took the time to write the script, mm-hmm. you know, Same try to see, you know, I think what a lot, why a lot of people don't pitch, it's fear more than anything else. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, because a lot of people, particularly those in small markets, you know, and I'll include myself in that, you know, just that they finish the script puts them well above everyone they know, you know, as a writer, you know. And, absolutely, absolutely. Or you finish, know. Finishing anything really and having it be quality is, is a huge, huge thing. So, but when you send it out to Hollywood, you're not competing with your neighbor, the people in your, you know, at the library who are in the screenplay club. Right. You're competing with, you know, um, I always say William Goldman, but he's dead now. You know, you're competing with Paul Anastasio and Shane Black. I mean, there's only so many slots where scripts or films are going to be made. Uh 
-hmm. And all those screenwriters you've heard of, these famous ones who make a million dollars. I mean, I love the Script Notes podcast, you know, with John August and Craig Mason. You know, when I send out a script, you know, they're sending out scripts too. I'm competing with them. I'm competing with everyone who's out in Hollywood making a thing. And, you know, you got to have enough confidence to say, look, you know, I feel, I think mine can, I think mine can win. Uh You know, I think there's somebody out there who is going to like this and make this movie. And, you know, it's maybe stupid to think that, Uh but if you don't think that you'll never get anywhere. So talk a little bit about you, uh, if you will, about writing things that are faith-based and, and interfacing with Hollywood on those sorts of projects. Uh, Is that more of a challenge, less of a challenge? What are the, what are the things that you have to overcome there? Well, it's terrible now. You know, um, when I first started writing scripts, um, sending them out to Hollywood is in the 90s, the early 90s. And there was no face-based genre. Uh You know, if your script had faith in it, you know, it compete. There was no genre. So if they liked the idea, it was just a normal movie with some sort of spiritual theme to it. And um, so... I had to compete on that level. My of my my first script was a police movie. It didn't, you know, it was terrible as I said. My second and third scripts were heavy faith-based. My third script was probably more faith-based than some of the faith-based movies I made. And you know what? CAA wanted it. And you know, it was, I wrote it years ago. It was optioned just a couple of years ago. Again, I just sent it out to somebody because they want they want to read it. And I didn't even advertise it, you know, with somebody who had read it years ago said, hey, you still got that. Can I send that script out? And I'm like, sure. And then my normal answer would have been no, because I want to convert it to a novel, right. you know, to increase the value of it. But um, back then, the sky was the limit. They would, you know, because it wasn't viewed as a niche genre thing. Uh-huh. Now, you know, they do want, there are people Everyone talks about the prejudice against Christian filmmakers. Okay. And um, basically, general Hollywood does not take me seriously because of the faith-based films I did. You know, I may get more credit now that I'm co-creator of a streaming series, uh-huh. you know, and the fact that I write books. But now they view, okay, there is, a, there is an established market for faith-based films. You know, every studio and every agency now has their faith guy or gal. And, you know, so they don't see the need to have a couple of, you know, but they have a a group of people that are designed to hit that market to be available, you know, for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it is so limiting now. It's, you know, because they're, you know, um, the way the business, the faith business works, sort of like we're now it's a niche market and they're only going to spend, you know, one to five million dollars on it, right. you know, because they view that there's a limit to the upside of it. Uh-huh. So in a sense, if you're out, you know, when I was sending scripts out before they were a faith based marketplace, I was competing with mainstream movies on their, you know, head to head. Right. You know, so I had to write a, a script that was good enough to compete with mainstream movies which is not the case with faith-based films. Quality is never job one. Usually faith-based films, it's good that the script is good, but it's the message is often more important than the quality of the script, quality of the film. 
God. less so now. I think these kingdom uh-huh. films they're making, you know, uh, through Lionsgate, uh-huh. you know, and some of the and the Affirm stuff, you know, they're making quality motion pictures, uh-huh. you know. But for most of the more indie film Christian stuff, uh-huh. it's mainly message driven. Right. Right. <laughs> And your series is in South Africa. Is Affirm doing that? Sony's, Sony's Affirm? Well, it's being done. It's, you know, Sony, you know, I don't know who owns what and okay. who's making decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in negotiations for it, everyone kept saying Sony, Sony, okay. Sony. Gotcha. But it's, um, um, you know, Pure Flix used to be part of its own company. Right. And when, you know, a F- Sony bought pure flicks i think it's being run through a firm i could be completely wrong about that okay and those people that used to be pure flicks are now called pinnacle peak right and um pinnacle peak is producing it the money's coming from sony i don't know whether it's coming out of the pure flicks pocket the affirm pocket the affirm pure flicks pocket right and that is such a great, great note as well for, for creators out there to understand is that none of this stuff is cut and dried, right? None of this stuff is like, it, there's not a clear path. Everything is its own little monster and gets put together like its own little Frankenstein in order to create a movie. And that's really, really important to understand because so many, so many people have it in their mind that if they write a great script and then somebody likes it, then it's going to just get made magically. And no, there are so many little hurdles you have to overcome and so many well, little things. Well, they should read my blog because I have like, I do writing tips and it's not less about how to write screenplays. Most of it is like, had the business aspect. You know, I do things like character descriptions, why they're important. Uh-huh. But I also do things like about contracts and cross purposes, you know, make the changes, how, when to say no to somebody. You know, that's a very difficult thing is when somebody wants to hire you mm-hmm. or someone wants to buy your script. And then, but you know, it's particularly if it's your first thing, you know, and it's a horrible deal. Sometimes you have to say no. Yeah. And um, wise people will say no. It's very yeah. difficult if you've been writing scripts for five or six years and somebody says, oh, we want to make this movie. And then it's the worst deal in the world. Or, or they make bad movies. Right. And it's like, you know, you, some, you know, if the script is good enough that they would take it, maybe somebody else will take it. But yeah. it comes down to it. I always say people are entitled to make a mistake with their first film. <laughs> and then after you're, then that will disillusion you enough that you'll endeavor to make good decisions with the other scripts. Yeah, and that's great tips for our listeners and our viewers out there. Uh, first, go check out Sean's blog for sure. It sounds like it's a wealth of information. But, but yeah, absolutely. Some jobs you may want them, but they may be bad for you. So avoid them if you can. (laughs) So talk a little bit, uh, Sean, if you would, about um, you write lots of different stuff, lots of different genres, but also you write different types of things. You're writing novels and you're writing series now. You're obviously screenplays and movies. Some people say that's kind of like committing Harry Carey, right? That you're kind of messing yourself up to do stuff like that. You should kind of find a niche and stay in it. Um, and just ride that all the way to the end. Talk a little bit about what's it like to be, you know, a kind of a varied writer and, uh, and what that does for you. Well, you know, I think it's less, the career suicide thing is less about what format you're writing at 
and how it'll be presented than genre. Okay. You know, for me, I have an existing faith-based audience through the movies, you know. Wow. It's what one agent called platform. Right. And they seem to indicate their platform, this was a book agent, was more important than the book itself, wow. you know. So, um, and um, so as a result, it would be smart for me just to do faith-based things. But that was never my goal from the beginning, you know, just to write one kind of thing. And in case of my book, my first book, The Promise, or The Pros and Cons of Talking with God, is a memoir. That's a certain genre. Um, Chapel Street, my second book, which is a novel, but it's, it's, it's loosely based and inspired by a haunting my family experienced and the deaths of two of my siblings. And, um, you know, and that's a horror novel. Um, so, and that got some great, there's a very strong faith element. I would say, once again, it's more faith in there than some of the my faith-based movies, but it's marketed strictly as horror. And um, even horror people who are not inclined towards Christianity really liked it. In fact, the worst review I got was from a Christian site because of all the stuff I put in it, you know? So, so you would think, okay, well, maybe I'm a horror writer, but my next book is more of a coming of age comedy. So We'll see. <laughs> but no, it generally is, you know, they are, everyone will advise you to get in a lane and stay in it, you know. So but I don't you, know. I can do it. <laughs> so is what, what is driving you to kind of be this, you know, this kind of multi-tool in, in the writing world? Is it really just the stories that you want to tell? Or is it yeah. you kind of see that, hey, there's a place over there that needs this kind of story? Well, I try not to see there's a place that needs it because... Anytime you try to gauge the market and then create something, you're always years behind a trend. Right. Even if it's happening now, if you write a movie, it's not going to be, you know, available and for two years. And, you know, right. even if it's an independent film before it's readily available, it'll be 18 months to two years right. and practically the same for a book. You know, for books, books are a huge commitment in time. So I don't write a book unless there's something really personal in it for me. Gotcha. You know, there's so far in all three of my books, there's a strong element of autobiography. They're all first person narratives. And um, the first one, because it's a memoir, when it's, I say, uh, when the character says, I, it's me, it's 100% <laughs> me. The second one, it's probably 85% me. Mm -hmm. And then the third book, it's probably 65% me. But I'm still dealing with in the books. Now, most of my movies were written on commission. Okay. So people said, Sean, we have a, you know, we'd like to do a movie on this subject, you know, and uh, can, will you write a movie on that subject? And in the old days, it was like, yeah, I'll write a movie on that subject. <laughs> you know, oftentimes I'd throw out whatever they gave us to write. Right. And I had a partner at that time too. And it's sort of like, they give us a, you know, you, oftentimes the thing we're supposed to write, you know, they only gave us a paragraph, very broad paragraph of what right. they wanted. To have. And sometimes Christian films are inspired in the faith market, the Christian films, you know, the subjects come from an investor who has a personal interest in some subject or, or like a mega church that has an interest in a subject uh -huh. and they approach somebody you know, can you make a film on this subject? And then they approach me. And, you know, then, yes, I can. But I always try to find something personal in it. 
And usually it's the most personal things in it that seem to respond, you know, the audience responds to most. So, you know, it's advice I give people, even, you know, I'm not an astronaut, but if I was forced to write, not forced, I'd be happy to write something about someone in a spaceship, you know, from the Apollo program. You know, even though I don't, I'd have to research, I, I'm not an astronaut, but, you know, they're human beings and we all experience the same emotions. So, you know, I would have to, I would make it emotionally real to me as well, you know, and I think, I think that's the key, you know, by writing on assignment yeah, is finding a real emotion, uh, your own personal hook into the story. <clears throat> Sorry, when I was writing the films for the FBI, they, you know, they were almost always based on real actual cases. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like ongoing threats. I did a lot of stuff for espionage, like about how insider threat, how foreign powers are recruiting people in the intelligence services or, you know, about how foreign powers are like trying to steal corporate secrets in order to get a technological edge mm-hmm. and all. So and those, it was always the struggle. The first struggle was like, who is, are we seeing this story through? Who, whose eyes are we seeing this story through? You know, the FBI would always like it to see it through the FBI's eyes, right. you know, but the first film I did betrayed, was shocking to him because essentially I was mainly seeing the film through the eye of the person who portrays his country, oh. you know, and understanding his motivations. Mm-hmm. And they thought that was quite daring at the time. So it's always a matter of finding, you know, you know, who, who it is who we're seeing this story through right. and then finding a way within yourself as the writer to make it this real, because when it's real to you, the character becomes real. Right. That's it. Yeah, it lends it lends such a tremendous authenticity. I can't ever say that word. (laughs) Authenticness. How's that? Um, To to the words as you're writing them. So yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. So um, if you could go back in time, Sean, and the day before young Sean started to write his first script, and you could give him one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be for young Sean? Oh, that's so easy. Okay. Take the deal with CAA. <laughs> okay. I should have gone with CAA. That would you know, it would have, my career would have went in a different way. I probably would have made a lot more money. But the funny thing is, one of the reasons I went with the other agent, the person who wrote me back at CAA, who read the script, oddly enough, that's the same script I just sent to someone else today <laughs> who's interested in it. Um, he had three small changes he thought would be good. Right. And, you know, back then I didn't, you know, it was like, changes? How <laughs> dare they? It's perfect. You know, now I, now one thing I, I can wholeheartedly tell everyone out there, make the changes. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if talk to the people before you make the deal, what they liked and what they didn't like, what changes they could see, you bring it up if they don't. Yeah. Because yeah. once you sign, here's the thing. Once you sign that option, they can do whatever they want. Right. You know, if you don't make the changes and they want the changes, they'll just hire someone else to do it. That's right. So my philosophy is make the changes because they're going to get made anyway. If you're doing it, perhaps it'll be less damaging. Right. You know, you could mitigate some of the damage. Mm-hmm. But if you if someone tells you about the changes they want, you don't like them. 
you know, once they, they can do it, once they option it yeah. or buy it. So just don't sell it to them. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's hard to say no, but you know, sometimes that's the main reason you should say no to a deal. And um, sometimes you don't know about changes till later, right. you know, uh, <clears throat> my script that won the Kairos prize was with a production company for like two years. They had optioned it twice. And then near the end of the option period, one of the producers came up with, I consider the worst change ever on anything I've written. And there was, there was three principals in the um, production company. And one of them, who was also a writer, a very talented writer, knew it was a horrible mistake, but the head of the company wavered between the two. And, you know, I'm no longer optioned with them, mainly because of that change. I'm like, look, I know it, this was a faith-based film. I said, I've seen more faith-based films than you. And I've sat in more audiences of faith-based films. I went to film festivals. I saw the ones that work, the ones that don't work, uh -huh. and the ones that don't get released. And this change is going to destroy it. This audience is going to rebel against you if you do this. Right. You know, but of course they didn't listen to me. So I, you know, pulled the script from them. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, but generally speaking, all screenwriters, you either, if you don't make the changes, you will not have a career. There was a manager, and I can't remember the name of the manager. I always wish I could, who uh, handled screenwriters. And he said, screenwriters have short careers because once they have some success, they refuse to make changes. Uh, that's and no good... one wants to work with them. Yeah. yeah. In a movie, everybody above the line gets their say. Yeah. The actors get their say if they're big. The stars, you know, the leads get their say. You know, the producers get their say, and the director, of course, gets his say. Mm -hmm. If you can't live with that, don't make movies. Right. Write novels. Yeah. It's like for my Chapel Street, people are reading it. And it's like if the, people say, hey, do, we, do you mind if we change this? I say not at all, because my novel is my vision. Right. You know, my vision has been preserved. It's published. Mm -hmm. You know, if they want to make the changes, if it gets the movie made, they can make it then hopefully the people will go and buy the book. Right. And then they'll see how it's supposed to be. <laughs> oh, that's what advice, legitimate advice I give people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Who, um, really they important want advice. People, nobody wants to ever be out in Hollywood, wants to be the first person to say yes. So, you know, they want existing IP because then they don't look like idiots bringing it to their boss. Well, look, you know, this person liked it or that person liked it. You know, I'm not stupid for liking it. Mm -hmm. So now, anytime I'm thinking of writing a script, I write it as a book first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get no power, you know, additional IP power for self-publishing unless it's unless you sell like three to 10 million copies of it self-published. Right. But if you can get a legitimate traditional publisher to publish your book, that gives you so much more credibility yeah. to try to sell that same script later. Yeah, because you've got a built-in audience as well. So when you go to... Pitch, well, yeah, but even, though you, even if the book doesn't do well, it's a small publisher, uh -huh. sold 5,000 copies, 10,000 copies. Right. I mean, yes, so you, don't, you don't tell them that. You say right. this, and hopefully you got a lot of reviews. Uh -huh. You quote the reviews, and right. suddenly, you know, you're a member of the club. You're, you're someone they will take seriously. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, so much amazing, good advice, Sean. I thank you so much for it. Uh, please let everybody know where they can find you online as we kind of wrap up here. 
any kind of social media places we can find you and follow? You mentioned Twitter, but uh, just list them. Yeah, all. I'm a Twitter. I'm, I'm Sean Paul Murphy. I think all one word. So that's, you can find me on Twitter. I follow, I follow back. I'm not a jerk unless you're from like Nigeria and you want money or you're a woman and, and you're looking for marriage. I usually don't follow. <laughs> or if you mention Bitcoin in your um, profile, I do not follow back. But everyone else, definitely all writers, I follow back. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me as Sean Paul Murphy. That's S-E-A-N. <clears throat> I'm on Instagram. But on there, I'm found as um, Sean Paul Murphy. You know, so um, I'm not as active on Instagram, but I do check in every once in a while. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Sean Paul Murphy. And the best place, if you want the wit and wisdom and hard luck stories of Sean Paul Murphy would be Sean Paul Murphyville. You know, just type in Sean Paul Murphyville, take you to seanpaulmurphyville.blogspot.com. And be sure to pick up my book, Chapel Street, if you want to see how to put faith in a completely mainstream book that will reach people who would never think of reading a Christian book or a Christian movie, seeing a Christian movie. All right. I love it. And I'm definitely going to pick that up and everybody go be sure and check out all of those links, uh, that wit and wisdom and the hard knocks, I think is a great, a great way to put that. And I can't wait to, to jump onto that blog and read that stuff. Uh, Sean, I can't thank you enough for being on. And I would love to close this in prayer today, if that's all right. Okay, go right ahead. All right, let's do it. Glorious Heavenly Father, we just come before you today thanking you so much for this opportunity, uh, this technology that connects Sean and I. Um, we thank you for this opportunity just to, to, just to get to know each other better on this side of eternity. We know we're going to be hanging out, uh, laughing, and hopefully writing and worshiping you absolutely uh, for eternity. But it's great to get to know a brother uh, on this side of glory. And so, Father, I just pray your blessings upon him and upon Deborah, his wife, and upon their whole family. I pray that you bless the work of his hands, uh, that you prosper him if it be your will, Father. And I pray for everyone who's listening and who's watching uh, this today or tomorrow or whenever. I pray that, that they, will, they will be in, uh, enlightened and encouraged, Father, by this message. Uh, and I pray that there's something in here that will well, that will help inspire them to do your will in this world, which so desperately needs salt and light. Help us to use our gifts for your kingdom in all things and in all ways. Help us to be good stewards of your son's forgiveness and help us to always remember his sacrifice on the cross. In, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So again, Sean, thanks for being on. We hope to have you back again sometime if you have the time. Maybe once the series uh, comes out on streaming, maybe we'll have you back on if that works. Well, it depends how it turns out. <laughs> if it's bad, you know. Uh, even if it's bad, we'll have you back on. Does that sound good? Okay. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's, Everyone should subscribe to Pure Flick. And I mean. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. And everybody out there watching and listening, be sure and subscribe, uh, like, and comment. Tell your friends about this great podcast, especially if you want to do crea uh, Creation for Christ. So definitely check us out. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. This is Brandon signing out. Thank you so much for listening today. To find all the resources and links that were mentioned in the episode, be sure and visit our website at theophanymedia.com forward slash Sean Paul Murphy. Creatively Christian is a product of Theophany Media. 
You can find out more at theophanymedia.com. This show is hosted by Brandon Hollingsworth, Andrea Sandifer, Dave Ebert, and Rachel Oxborough. Our logo is by Bill Brooks. Bill Brooks and Andrea Sandifer did our music. And Jake Doberins produces and edits the show.